What is happening, NBA fans? Welcome into another week of Dropping Dimes. I'm your host, Matt Nost, and I am here to talk about today. <clears throat> we're going to do a discussion of the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, it's been a minute since I uh, basically talked about them in depth. I, uh, I have been holding off, kind of waiting for roughly the 20-game mark. Because at the 20-game mark is when you can start to prognosticate as to what a team's chances could be going forward. So right now, the Lakers sit at 9-10 and 10, uh, after their loss to the New York Knicks last night, which they fought back. They were down <clears throat> once again by a large double-digit lead, and that has happened, uh, according to StatMuse, um, in a third of their games this season. I've seen it happen numerous times, but they've gone by double down by double digits uh, quite a bit. Uh, if you watch enough of the Lakers, which I have being here in the West Coast and in L.A., um, they come out kind of lethargic and almost it's like they assume their reputation is going to be strong enough to intimidate the other teams uh, or their their past accomplishments are going to lead them to W's, or I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but it's weird when you watch them because they don't really seem to give a shit quite a bit, as if they assume, well, we're going to be in the championship no matter what. So these regular season games are kind of meaningless. Uh, but they're ultimately not because they determine the seeding in, you know, once you get to the playoffs, so they end up in that, that bottom seed, they're going to be taking on one of the best teams in the West at this point, whether it's Golden State, Phoenix, uh, Utah, like one of the top tier teams that has a clear identity and they don't. Now here's, I brought this stat up the other week and you can find it on uh, NBA.com. So it's after 20 games, you can project outward given the data uh, point of the past 20 full seasons in the NBA. So the number of wins and then your percentage chance of making it, just making it to the playoffs, right? So the Lakers are currently sitting at nine and 10, one more game until we get to 20 in the West over the past 20 eligible seasons, there have been 22 teams with nine wins at this at the 20 game mark. And of those, 10 make the playoffs. So 45% of them. Interestingly enough, the 10 win teams, which there have been 32 of over the past 20 eligible seasons, only 12 of those made the playoffs. That's 38%. So right now, looking at it, the Lakers have somewhere between 38 to 45% chance if the previous 20, 20 eligible seasons is an indicator of what they can do. And that's West specific. That is not for the NBA as a whole. Because in the East, man, <sighs> sorry, my allergies have been killing me the past two days. In the East, your numbers are better. If you have nine wins, you have a 60% chance of making it. Shows you how weak the East has been. 10 wins, 66% chance. Uh, 
hell, 12, uh, 11 wins in the West only gets you a 50%. So if you are 11 and nine, you have a 50% chance of making it to the playoffs as of 20 games. So the Lakers right now are sitting in an uncomfortable position where they're with every game that passes, they're slipping the, the, the elusive championship is dwindling. Uh, the chances of which, and even making the playoffs, is starting to slip between their fingers. Um, and what's interesting, so you can look at them, and by all kinds of different metrics, they're playing piss poor. And that same tweet from StatMuse, they list their net rating, the Lakers is 24th, 25th in offensive, 20th in defensive, 28th in points allowed, 29th in turnovers, and 20th in threes per game. Um, Not good. And there are all kinds of red flags, left and right. So I've got breakdowns of the individual uh, players in front of me, and there's all kinds of alarming things. Like, okay, personal fouls. It's an easy thing to stop yourself from doing. And right now, Westbrook has 62 personal fouls through 19 games. 62. He's leading the team. Uh, next closest is 15 under him, Carmelo Anthony. 62. And hell, right now, technically, Taylor Horton Tucker has 20 through six games. So he is actually outpacing Russ. Uh, for the number of fouls. And Taylor Horton Tucker is another thing. So I watched his first two games uh, back. And statistically, you know, they're good games. But I texted uh, my Laker friends afterwards, and I'm like, do you like what you're seeing from Taylor Horton Tucker? And they all, to a T, were like, listen, LeBron is out, and we need somebody to shoot right now. But I'm watching these games, and he is running into double coverage and still throwing up a shot. It's like you, it, as if making a pass uh, leaves him nauseous. I don't mind confidence from a guy, but then there's also arrogance. And if you're not going to play within the flow of the team offense and you're just out there to gun, it, to me, watching it, it was like, God, I really feel like, especially in those first two games back, you're trying to justify to the organization, to the fans, your contract. A, and also the fact that they let Caruso walk, and Caruso's been the toast of Chicago, um, you know, amongst a bevy of other players. Uh, Chicago's in love with this team, and rightly so. I mean, we we looked lethargic for the first time against the Pacers. Uh, it's just one of those, I think it was a string of games where we were getting up to play top-tier talent, and they looked at the schedule with the Pacers at home, and they're like, oh, we don't need to. We're not worried about that one. We're worried about the next game. And it came out and really showed the Pacers looked crisp and sharp, and we looked tired. Like our defensive rotations were just lazy. Um, all kinds of things in that game, but we're not getting into that. But Horton Tucker, in those first few games, just, yes, he shot, you know, there's a 9 of 18 game. He's basically shooting 50%. Uh, but as everybody was floating this data around last night, over the past three games, he has more personal fouls than he does points. He has 11 personal fouls to 10 points. Um, 
and eight of those points came in one game. So you got two and another in a zip zilcho last night. Uh, and, you know, this was somebody that they were looking forward to. And then you'll hear Laker fans be like, well, once we get Ariza, none, and LeBron has been out for uh, 11 games at this point. Um, once we're back to full health, it's a different team. While I agree with you, this is an older team. So it's going to be difficult for you to stay at full health for the duration of the season. You're going to have to start, you know, sitting these guys, resting them. Otherwise, Anthony Davis is so injury prone. LeBron is looking older. Uh, I don't feel like I'm slagging off on him by saying that. Um, but Jamal Crawford brought up a great point on Inside the NBA last night. If you are a great team, you usually have identifiable characteristics that you know that that team is great for. So if you want to pick a team anywhere in the mix above them, you can kind of go, well, this is what they do really well. And whereas with the Lakers, I don't, what is their elite skill as a team? It used to be defense, but now being 20th in defense, according to stat muse, and I'm not sure how they, uh, come up with that metric because everybody does it a slight bit different. Um, you can find it on uh, NBA.com or basketball reference, or you can pay for various, uh, other sites, uh, which I do. And they all, some of them wait into, uh, uh, that equation, like garbage time minutes, not counting, or if it's a blowout and you've been sat well, then they kind of freeze it at that point. Um, or you set your, your starters, but let's just take it at what it is 20th, which they went from an elite defense under Vogel to this. And you can look at it and say, well, it's a collection. They're a collection of, uh, brand new pieces, you know, returning members. It's LeBron AD and Taylor Horton Tucker. Now, Dwight and Rondo have played for them in the past, but it's also one season removed. Um, and otherwise, they are cobbling together a whole bunch of new uh, parts. So it will take time to gel on that. But after a training camp preseason in 20 games, and we still don't have the gel, I don't know who their starters are. If everybody, if they're at full health, who are their five starters? I, I, I literally do not know. I mean, three of them, obvious. We know that. But beyond that, I just Vogel is still searching for that. And by rights, I agree with them. They don't, they need to continue searching because nothing really works effectively right now on a consistent basis. Um, but here's one getting into the stats that jumped out. Um, so if you get into individual player stats, and you can go to NBA.com and you can get into the advanced stats and you can, you know, whittle it down to players. So I did players and you have to play a minimum of 10 minutes. That way it cuts out any of the guys that get garbage and they're playing five, six because their numbers are not indicative of the team as a whole. Um, so in the chat so far in the chat, we got uh, Daniel Savoy, uh, Johnny Shoemaker, uh, Jay Cleveland, uh, and a bunch of people watching. Thanks for watching. Don't want to chime in the chat. I totally get it. Does anybody have a guess as to how many players the Lakers have with a positive net rating? And net rating is the difference between when you're on the court, what the offense is able to score versus what the defense is able to hold the other team to. And net rating is the end result of that. So if you have a positive, 
you know, uh, a net rating that means you're scoring more points than you're allowing on defense. Um, so Jake Cleveland guesses two. Uh, as of right now, Jeremy Bowers, welcome to the chat. Jeremy Bowers uh, then jumps in. He says, they have maybe two. Um, all right, well, I'll just go ahead and tell you. They have exactly two. They have exactly two. Now, the two that are in the positive, we can do this little dance again. So everybody's guessing two. Congratulations. I, I figured there <laughs> you might be a little off on that, but I was wrong. Does anybody in the chat want to guess as to who those two players are? that have a positive, all they have to do is have 0.1 to make it a positive net rating. And the Lakers have two. And once again, it's a minute's cutoff that I did at 10 minutes a game or more. That was my cutoff. And there are 15 players eligible that have played in enough games and enough minutes for the Lakers in those games. They have two players that are going to do it. The two players that have a positive net rating are Austin Reeves at positive 8.2 and Malik Monk at positive 1.5. That is it. LeBron is a negative 0.3. Taylor Horton Tucker in his nine games, uh, or pardon me, his six games is 8.9. Uh, Carmelo is a negative 0.6. Dwight Howard is a negative 4.1. Anthony Davis is a negative 4.6. Wayne Ellington is negative 5.1. Russ is negative 5.4. Rondo is negative 6.4. DeAndre is negative 8.1. Bays is negative 8.6. And Avery Bradley is negative 11.2. The defensive stopper, Avery Bradley, in 18 games, has given up 11.2 more points per possession or per when he's on the court versus the offensive value that he adds overall. You have two Austin Reeves and Malik Monk. Those are the only guys that are out there basically effectively playing winning basketball. Wow. That blew me away. So then I was like, all right, well, you know, what does that mean for the team as a whole? And how does it stack up to other teams around them? So the Lakers are currently sitting in ninth position. And I decided, I was like, all right, I'll look at Memphis and Denver. That is seven and eight. So right above them. And then Minnesota, Oklahoma City, Sacramento, San Antonio, New Orleans. And I didn't even look at Houston. But I looked at the five teams below them and the two teams above to get an idea of what the other lineups the other big guys on those teams are doing. So once again, Lakers have two. The Denver Nuggets have six guys with a positive net rating. And uh, what blew me away is their worst is Compazzo. I knew Compazzo was bad on the defensive end, but he's a negative 21.9. That's, that's pretty terrible. Um, but they have six guys with a positive. And it goes 13.9, 12.6, 9.8, 8.7, 8.2, and 3.9. So the bulk of those, five of those are at eight points or better. And that's uh, Najee, Jokic, Porter Jr., Gordon, and Morris. Will Barton is the lone outlier there at 
but it's the guys that are getting the bulk of the run on their team, except for Najee. Um, so that's two positions above them, or one position above them. Right below them, Minnesota. Minnesota has three, seven players. Now, once again, it's a 10-minute cutoff is where I cut it off. But they have seven players with a positive plus minus, or positive net rating, rather. Seven. All right, fine. We'll move on uh, You know, below that. We'll go to the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Oklahoma City Thunder have three guys with a positive net rating. Fine. Sacramento. Sacramento, once again, they've got three guys with a positive. All right, we'll keep this thing uh, going. The San Antonio Spurs. San Antonio Spurs have four. Okay, moving right along. The New Orleans Pelicans. Finally, they've met their match. New Orleans Pelicans have one player. That's it. Everybody else is negative. So the standings around them, Everybody else, I and I, I, I closed out the Memphis tab, uh, but Memphis has you know more than two. So basically, every other team has an idea of a who their best lineup is, and b getting plenty of run out of those guys, and c those guys are affecting a positive outcome on the floor. And if you watch a bunch of these Laker games, um, you know being down, but if you so I watched the San Antonio game, they should have lost that game. The second game to Houston that came down, I think it was ultimately a three point game. Houston had that game won, but I think because of their youth, they kind of squandered it and and lost those possessions. But Houston very easily could have won those games. It wouldn't have been difficult for them. Um, they've had numerous game so far this season, like that Detroit one before, you know, the LeBron, uh, Isaiah kerfuffle, um, which by the way, I love that Shams is putting out there. Hey, LeBron was trying to search down Isaiah's number to shoot him a text and tell him, Hey man, I didn't mean to hurt you, which a, if LeBron wanted to get his number, I'm pretty sure he could. In what world does one of his teammates, if he were to text them, he could text them all and be like, I need his number, and he'll get it from somebody. Are you telling me that LeBron James couldn't track down a number? Now, if it was reversed and Isaiah was trying to track down LeBron's number, we would. I would believe the story of like maybe he couldn't get it. Maybe people felt like they need to protect LeBron. A little bit more, uh, but floating out too. Shams has the same, you know, Rich Paul led management company, but I believe Rich Paul is his, you know, agent. Uh, so he shares that with LeBron, and it's, I mean, it's just a fluff piece for Clutch to putting out there, which he's done with Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons has the same agent. And Shams will tweet out, like, talk to a bunch of NBA execs. And, uh, you know, it turns out Ben Simmons looks like he's a really good dude. Everybody seems to love him. It's like, oh, okay, really? This isn't just one clutch client fluffing another clutch client to pad the pockets of the overall agency itself. 
because Rich Paul was like, hey, do me a solid on this side. And trust me, I will make it up for you monetarily somewhere else down the line. That's what's killing me about Shams is the, you know, a lot of people look at him and Woj is doing the same thing. Woj's biases, I think, are born out of, at least that I notice, you know, like he doesn't have an in in LeBron's camp. So Woj is going to be more negative towards LeBron than anybody. If you, if there's a negative piece out there about LeBron that was leaked, my guess is the leak is coming from Woj because he's always uh, felt left out of the LeBron circle. So then he's taken to attacking the LeBron circle and Shams has the conduit to that inner circle. Um, but anyway, just the Shams like LeBron's being trying to get it. Go and get it though. He's good dude. You're like, I, and LeBron saying like, I didn't mean to do that. That's a load of shit. Did you mean to draw blood? No, I don't, I don't believe you meant to draw, draw blood, but did you mean to hit him in the face? Yeah. If you go watch that, you turn and you side eye him and know exactly what you're doing. You're pissed off that he's playing that hard and pushing you around, which understandable, you know, he, the moment emotions are high. You're out there fighting for uh, a rebound on a free throw. Uh, I get it. But to say, like, I didn't mean to do that, well, that is an absolute load of horse shit. Uh, and I, you know, it's fine. You want to put that out there for the narrative. But I, I don't think a single person is buying. Um, yeah, Tim Tim Williams in the chat says, you know, love hearing all the NBA analysis uh, analysts keep saying, oh, when the Lakers get their injury or injured players back, it's Trevor Reza and Kendrick Nunn acting like it's Dennis Rodman and Tony Kukoc, not in the lineup. Um, if you talk to like a Miami Heat fan, they love Nunn and also he scares the crap out of them because there are games where he can go off, but if he doesn't have a primary out there that he can kind of cook around, uh, he's going to be completely ineffective, and he's streaky at best. And Ariza, I just don't think there's anything left in the tank for Ariza. They have a bunch of those guys. I mean, the Lakers are a dramatically older team, and how they thought this was going to win a championship. Like last night, I just searched Taylor Horton Tucker to see the general outrage from uh, Laker fans. And first off, there's no greater delusional fan base than Laker fans because one of the tweets that I saw, and I scanned for a while, but some guy put out Taylor Horton Tucker, Kendrick Nunn, and I want to say Ellington to Detroit for Jeremy Grant and then somebody deep on their roster. Uh, and he's like, who says no? And immediately I was like, Detroit. Detroit says no to this. First off, the salaries don't match. So you can't do this trade anyway. Secondly, then I, I, uh, I think the, the Detroit wants more for Jeremy Grant than basically Taylor Horton Tucker. Uh, I know I would, um, but I opened up the trade machine on ESPN and it's one of those things you knew they had the, the bulk of their team on veteran minimums. Um, but to see it kind of in stark contrast, when you're looking at 
So here are their contracts. And, and by the way, most of these guys cannot be traded until uh, either December 14th or January 14th, depending on when they signed and what they signed for. Um, but you have Westbrook and LeBron, you know, 44, 41, Anthony Davis, 35. And then Taylor Horton Tucker at 9.5, Kendrick Nunn at five. And then every other single player on the roster signed for the veteran minimum of 1.67. So any trade that you make, because you don't really have any first rounders right now, you gave them up in the Anthony Davis trade. Uh, you would have to do, you know, first rounders in like 27 or 28, something ridiculous. Uh, but if you wanted to cobble enough contracts together, it'd have to be THT Kendrick Nunn just to get you to 15 ish million. And then like five other guys to get anybody of Jeremy Grant's level. Now you can get within, I think it's 75% of the contract or, to look at on the flip side, the Lakers can take back 125% of what they're shipping out. So they can take in something excess, but they'd have to give up because they have so many cheap guys sacrificing all depth and then finding a team that is willing to take on all these, that has the space to do it. Uh, but you're going to have to surrender picks to make this feasible and you don't have the picks. So I am curious as to what the Lakers are able to remotely do because they have to make some sort of change. The team as it's currently constructed is not going to win a championship is nowhere near a championship. And LeBron's window is, is slowly closing. Um, you know, they're five and three with LeBron out there. Uh, and they're four and seven without LeBron. But even in those, you know, LeBron games, uh, it's not like they're blowing the doors off when he's out there. Uh, technically, the Detroit game, and they won by five. Um, you know, against Houston, they barely beat Houston on the second game when he played. They smoked him on the first, and they beat Cleveland by 12. Um, but most of these, like, they're losing to any real good team they run into outside of Miami. Miami's the best team they've beaten so far this year. Otherwise their wins are against the dregs of the West and a bunch of those games are exceedingly close. Okay. They also beat Memphis and Charlotte, but those Memphis and Charlotte games were three points. So they're not blowing the doors off of any of this with LeBron. Um, so I'm curious as to what exactly they do in this going forward. I don't know what additions that you can make because most people are saying, well, we got to get Westbrook out of here, which could be the case. Who are you going to find to take Westbrook's $44 million and not have to give a pickup? to make this feasible. Find me a team. That contract is very difficult to move. I'm not going to say impossible because as we've seen over the past couple of years, 
even these staggeringly high contracts can be traded. Now, in the case of like Westbrook before, it was Westbrook for John Wall. So it was basically bad contract for bad contract. Although at this point, Westbrook is the better player of the two because Wall isn't even getting right. He practiced with the Houston Rockets the other day, but apparently he's just not going to play and they're going to tank their way to the number one overall again. And the number one overall again, looks like it actually be a pretty decent player. There's that kid from Oklahoma City uh, and there's a dude in the G League, Scoot Henderson. I haven't seen him any highlights or anything, but the way people talk about him, um, he's ready for the NBA, just flat out. And he's only like 17. He's on a two-year deal in the G League for a million dollars. gets half a million per year. Um, that's the change the G League has made to their structure of paying the top-tier guys to keep them in the system as opposed to them going overseas. Although I'm curious... Now with endorsement deals, would these guys make more money by going to college? Because if you get, say you went to Kentucky or any of the other like marquee that has a fan base that is fervent for them. I used to live in Lexington and that that team bleeds blue flat out for Kentucky basketball. Um, so I think if you were the star player there, you might be able to make more than half a million in endorsements from the locals only. I think there's a chance at that. Um, so, I mean, what do you do if you're the Lakers? Do you just look at this and say, once we get back to health, we'll be okay. Could be true. I highly doubt it. Because when I watch these games, you know, defense, I think, is the biggest indicator as to any team's makeup. All players like to go out and score buckets. Who doesn't? But defense comes down to you need to be physically fit, but mentally aware and locked in. You need to be looking at the offense and trying to gain the system, jump passing lanes to get a steal, but do it judiciously and wisely so you're not harming your team when you take these chances, knowing specific player tendencies. Oh, on a pick and roll, he is more you know apt to do this. Or when they do a pick and pop percentage-wise, he seems to kick out to the popping player this often. And just knowing what the other team is built around and what they do best. Uh, it's also a hustle drive wanting it and your teammates feed off. It. It's one thing I've noticed in Chicago in years past defense has been an issue. Um, it just has been since the Tibbs era ended defense has been an issue. And this year when we have Caruso and Lonzo in there, they give so much energy that the rest of the team actively feeds on it. You can see it. When I was at the Clipper game, the intensity of us dialed in on the Clippers was palpable. And now that Caruso's out, like against if that, if that with him being out, the Pacers game, if that's indicative of who we are without Caruso and Pat Williams, that hurts because we looked like we were stuck in mud on all kinds of switches and screens 
um, and not being aware of coverages and when, like there was one where Miles Turner was rolling to the basket, it was plain as day and wing defender uh, did not collapse down to cut off that passing lane. Now it would have opened up three in the corner, but the other two defenders, whoever was the second at the top should then roll down to the corner and we just keep switching around and try not to give them the easiest pass possible. And you watch the Lakers games and there is not a bunch of help on defense and guys just watching players run around them. I mean, you know, Carmelo and LeBron at several times this season and LeBron has their clips of him where the other team leaks out on a fast break and he just sits on his side of the court and waits for the play to finish. Uh, and there have been instances over the past few seasons where the other team doesn't get an immediate bucket and they go to reset. And meanwhile, LeBron is absent for the opening five, six, seven seconds of that shot clock. It's happened this season too. And Carmelo had one shit. What game was that? And went down on a fast break. They took a shot and then they got the offensive rebound. And then Carmelo watched the guy put up a second shot. It wasn't a layup, but it was further out. And then ball careened off the miss. And they got a third attempt and kicked it over to another shooter at the top of the key. And then finally, Melo was like, I guess I'll play a little defense. And that to me was, in a nutshell, a lot of the Lakers' woes this year just standing around waiting for the rebound as opposed to going out and contesting the shot. And perhaps that's what you get with an older team, but it's an older team coupled with some guys that aren't known for their defense or the defensive stoppers you're supposedly bringing in a la Avery Bradley or Trevor Ariza. Ariza's old at this point, and Avery Bradley has the worst net rating on the Lakers as a whole. So I don't know where you think this defensive help is coming from. Um, so, it, I mean, it is baffling to watch. And once again, I, I watch quite a few Laker games because they're one of two local teams. You get a lot of coverage here. And Sports Talk Radio is predominantly Laker talk, even though Clippers are the better team right now. Um it's frustrating as much as I laugh internally hearing Laker fans discuss like what they need to do that type of delusion all around you eventually makes you want to pull your hair out and be like, I don't think you are watching these games or attributing this loss entirely and foisting it upon the shoulders of one individual. If you were watching the same game, I was It's like, yes, that person was bad, which Westbrook takes a lot of that heat, but it's like, look around. I mean, how many times have you watched a game this season and been like, dear God, Anthony Davis is unstoppable. It's pretty rare. Given his skill set and size, that shouldn't be as rare occurrence as it has been. You know, what was that, that Monday night game? Perhaps it was a Sunday night game. I can't remember. Um, but Anthony Davis showed up late and he was like, I didn't want to go OT because my Packers are on uh, tonight and I want to watch the game, which by the way, just as an aside, 
as a kid raised in Chicago and you're a Packers fan, dude, fuck off. I got nothing but disdain for that. I I really hope he got pelted with snowballs for that stance when he was a kid. Were the Packers a better team when he was younger? Yes. But that is sacrilege in that city. You can like it damn near any other team. You get the hell out of here with your Packers love. The only thing worse if you said you were a Cardinals fan in Chicago, uh, at least to me. But, oh, gross. But that... When like that's the excuse of why he turned it on late, and he's now his last like nine games or so he's been playing really well, uh, but it does seem a much rarer occurrence to me where I'm watching and being like nobody can stop Anthony Davis right now. If you are supposedly one of the 75 best players of all time, I shouldn't have that question in my head, especially if you are in the prime of your career. It should be a no-brainer if you're going to make the 75 best ever that you are arguably, especially in your prime, that you're arguably the best player on the court at all times. Now, if you run into another 75 in his prime, then you can have a discussion as to who's better. Like if Giannis shows up, it's like, okay, well, I favor Giannis, but you should be a close second. And I don't know. I still view this as LeBron is the best player on their team, and he is second. Um, And if you're not going to get full alpha from him from a full se- for a full season coupled with the ups and downs of the Westbrook roller coaster it's like it's part of another recipe for mediocrity and i think that's where the lakers are they're stuck in a quagmire of mediocrity they don't do anything elite and hats off once again to Jamal Crawford that is a beautifully simplistic and yet astute way to look at the Lakers, what what can they hang their hat on? And it had been defense under Vogel in years past, and this year it is clearly not. So find me one thing outside of fouling that they are a lead at. I I can't think of a single one. Um, it just I don't know. So to all the Laker fans out there. Dial down the delusion. As it stands right now, you have somewhere between a 45 and a 38% chance of making the playoffs, not winning a championship, making the playoffs. And that is it. So good luck to you. All right. That's 40 minutes of Laker talk. Um, I will move on and dance around a little bit. Uh, what would you guys like to talk about? Let me know over in the chat and uh, I will do my best to, I don't know, give you my two cents on whatever it is that you bring up. I watched that uh, uh, Mavs Clippers game last night. Good game. And it was really interesting. Um, the Clippers late in game, basically PG was the only one that was deciding to drive to the rim and actually attempt to shoot at the rim. Everybody else was driving in and then, when they met any resistance whatsoever, no matter how feeble they would kick out for a three. Uh, and it could have been a teammate that was covered or someone's uncontested, but it was a kick out for a three at all times. And there was two or three, two or three possessions where they should have just taken the layup or the attempt at the very least, instead of kicking out. Um, I realize it's a three point driven league at this point. Uh, that being said, you know, key in three is all you're supposed to be shooting from, 
according to Daryl Morey. And if you have a good shot in the paint, you need to be taking that shot in the paint. Um, now, something I didn't think that at, at the 20 game mark, what, there you go, David Nishimoto just cutting straight to the point, Lakers suck. <laughs> Trying to do a discussion as to why they suck and if there's any light at the end of the tunnel, uh, I don't know that there's much. Um, but so for the longest time, the Warriors looked like they were going to run away with it. But the Phoenix Suns are the winners of 13 straight. It's almost like the the craziness with Sarver comes out. Uh, and they were already a little bit on their way during this 13-game streak. But Chris Paul just sat his guys down and was like, this is how it's going to play out. Although that that has died down. Um, it's not as fervent as it uh, uh, was previously for, say, Donald Sterling. But I also think Donald Sterling was much more disliked, if not hated, among the league. Sarver's not beloved by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but Donald Sterling was despised. And that's a different state of not being liked versus despised. Although, given what Sarver said, it's probably easy to be despised as well. Uh, but they've been on a tear. And for all the woe is me and you know people looking in at Brooklyn, they're number one in the East right now. And they're flirting with doing something that I think is probably wise at the very least, which is inserting LaMarcus Aldridge back into the starting lineup and putting Dwayne, uh, Blake on the bench. Um but sitting in first place and they still haven't figured out their fully optimized lineup. That's kind of scary. I mean, the difference is so before I was like, the Lakers don't have a lineup. The Nets basically do. They know the four players who are going to be playing. And then now it was five, but now it's like, okay, well maybe we should be more effective with slight, but it's, they know their rotations much better. Uh, Steve Nash was playing with it a little bit more at the start of the season. Uh, and that's to be understood. I think all coaches, and I'm not knocking Vogel for doing what he did, playing with your rotation makes sense until you find out a rotation that works best. Um, but to think that they're number one, they still haven't fully dialed in, that's very interesting. Um, so Nishimoto, you asked a question about Orlando. I have, they're one of the last teams that I have not watched yet. If I have to check off, I think it's at this point, it is them. Uh, I have now watched a uh, a Minnesota game. I haven't seen Sacramento yet. I haven't seen a full Pels game yet. And the Magic and Hawks, interestingly. I haven't seen a Hawks game yet. Everybody else I've watched. So I don't really feel comfortable giving my thoughts on the magic until I watch a full game. I, we're 20 in, so I should have done it at this point. But the fact that I'm on the West Coast and sometimes it's like I could catch the tail end of this somewhat meaningless magic game or I can watch this Warriors or Clippers or Lakers or Blazers or whatever or Nuggets game from the tip and watch it all the way through. And I'd kind of rather do that. Um. So Tim R. Williams has thoughts on the T-Wolves sneaky chance of making the playoffs. Did you see that clip of 
Anthony Ever Edwards uh, kind of cooking, but Cat knew that he wasn't going to pass to him, so he just started walking back toward the defensive end, and Anthony Dave or Anthony Edwards did not pass to him and uh, jacked up a shot, and it was like from a, a week or so ago. Now they've been playing much better team ball since then, um, and playing with a lot of zeal and heart. Uh, they look happier together and a more cohesive unit. Uh, but I'm curious as to what that means for the future because they they went on another little skid, and there was that quote from Carl uh, Anthony Towns about. You know, I've basically seen this happen in Minnesota before where a few game skid turns into a multi game skid, and then suddenly we are completely out of this. Now, they're winners of four straight at eight and nine. It's not a whole lot to crow about. But as I brought up before, the net rating for the bulk of the guys that are getting their minutes, they're playing excellent basketball with them on the floor. So, this, they might actually have something for the first time in the Carl Anthony Towns era. I'm still not a fan personally. Watching him sulk out there when everything isn't going perfect is disheartening to say the very least. Um, but perhaps, so, I mean, it, winning cures all. So you'll see less and less sulking, sulking if they can keep this together. And I think also it's a difference of they have a coach right now as opposed to Saunders before which was a nice story, but I don't think he had the acumen or the seasoning to really take over in that position. And now you get a coach in there who around the league is viewed as somebody who knows his X's and O's and is an excellent pickup for them uh, at the coaching position. And you can kind of see that they're slowly piecing it together. Winners of four straight, that's a legitimate win streak. Um, and if they can keep this going, they very easily in the new near future. I mean, I need to look at their schedule. So let's look at their schedule real quick. So the T Wolves, they beat uh, the Pelicans last night. But if you're a better team, it's a team you should be, you know, beating just flat out. And on this four game win streak, uh, let's see, they. Flat out smoked the Grizzlies, and the Grizzlies are a solid team. They beat the Spurs by 25. Once again, another team you should be beating. They beat the Kings by 10. Another team you should be beating. Barely lost by three to Phoenix. That's a great sign. Got smoked by the Clippers. But you destroyed the Lakers. Um, Game's coming up. So tonight they've got the heat. That's going to be a tough one, but it is at home. Uh, and then after that Friday, you've got Charlotte, another tough game. Uh, and you're at Charlotte. Then you're at Philly, tough game. Pacers are then coming to you at the end of November. Um, but the Pacers slowly getting guys back. Karis Levert looked good against us. That'll be an interesting game. So you've got a few. So if you can go over these next four games, you can split them or possibly even go three and one. Well, suddenly, you guys make a nice little jump and could easily be ninth or maybe even eight if Denver continues to struggle. He's on a five-game skid right now. Uh, you know, Jokic hasn't been back. 
Michael Porter Jr. is out. You still don't have Jamal Murray. This team that looked like they could be in championship discussion for a couple of years now is unfortunately because of injury bugs and health issues. Now sitting at eighth position in the West, and if Jokic isn't going to be out there, they just don't have enough gas in the tank to compete night in, night out with any of the big worthwhile teams. So it's pretty difficult, but it could happen. Um, so uh, let's see who else. Uh, Rashawn Robinson, the Nets. Nets don't have the coaching. Oh, so just coming right at Steve Nash, huh? You don't like Steve Nash's coaching. Um, I still think it's a little too early to tell, to be perfectly honest, because they haven't had their team as they're constructed since he's been there, really. You know, they were designed and created, and then that creation has never been fully realized. Um, so I don't know if you can say as of right now that Nash is or is not a good coach, but they are number one in the East. And they do play the Celtics tonight. Um, can the Celtics beat them? Sure. Sure. The Celtics can beat them. The Celtics are playing really good basketball right now. And I agreed with Marcus coming out. Uh, what was that like two weeks ago? to the media and saying, you know, we need to pass more. The poll quote made it look really shitty, but if you read the whole entire quote from Marcus, it makes a lot of sense. And I agreed with the entirety of the quote. The, the shortened poll quote seemed like he was trying to be divisive and start a fight and could be viewed as, you know, uh, a malcontent. And then you read the full quote and be like, no, that, that he, he makes a very valid point. Um, but since, kind of he stepped to the four. I think they're playing really interesting basketball. They're still going to have trouble against any team with a true center. Um, but if you have Brown, Tatum, Schroeder, Smart dialed in, but obviously, especially uh, Tatum and Brown, they're going to be difficult to stop it's whether or not those guys are dialed in night in night out because they have a passiveness that is frustrating to watch at times they have all the talent in the world between the two of them and there are instances where you're watching it and it doesn't seem like they give a shit now perhaps that has changed and this new streak is indicative uh or the current direction of the team could be a function of well, with new coach, new identity, new system, it took a little time for everybody to kind of feel each other out and figure out the lay of the land, what's up, what's down, et cetera. And I think that is the most likely outcome that you can draw from that. Um, so the, the Celtics are currently trending in the right direction. And seven and three over the last 10, they've won three straight but they've been creeping back up the standings. I mean, they're a half game back from fifth position and uh, two games back from second place. So in no way, shape, or form are they out of this. But that being said, they're in a four-way tie with the Knicks, the Bucks, and the Sixers. Uh, the Sixers are floundering right now. 
which is to be expected. But the Bucks are slowly adding guys back in. They just got Middleton back. Uh, they still don't have, uh, you know, Lopez, last I saw. So as they've been adding their championship guys back in, Bucks have been fine. I, I was never really worried about them because you're watching them saying, well, this is utterly incomplete. I mean, to start the season, they're starting Thanasis at center. When last year, Zach Lowe brought up a great point of the amount of time Thanasis in is, is in a game versus how quickly he gets a foul. And was, as soon as he pointed that out, it's impossible. It was impossible to unsee in the playoffs because there were times where he'd check in and have a foul within 10 seconds. It's like that was his his entire MO out there. It wasn't to intentionally foul. It was just inadvertently to foul. And perhaps Budenholzer was doing that to, I don't know, slow down the game, give his guys a little bit of on-court rest as the NASA is out there just wildly swinging his arms around. Um, but to start him at center, those early uh, stretch of the, the year, it didn't happen often, but it did happen a couple of times. And just like, oh, okay, this is, this is weird. Didn't see this coming. Um, but they're trending in the right direction. Even the teams on the out, like uh, Toronto sitting in 12th position at eight and 10, they're still a tough out on those nights. Now Cleveland is trending down. They're losers of four straight, but they got injuries for days. And unfortunately what was a feel good story to start the season is going to end up being a not so feel good story by the end of it. And I was confused with their off-season acquisitions. And when you saw it all on the court, it's one of those of, I was dead wrong. This is really interesting. You guys got something here. Um, but with Mobley going down two to four weeks, uh, really throws a kink in that those plans. Now, they could turn around and weather this storm ever so slightly. Perhaps. Um but losing Mobley is difficult. And then they've already got, uh, you know, Sexton is done for the season. Uh, marketing has been a little bit of in and out. Uh, and they don't have full complement. But you take, you subtract just a couple pieces off this team. And suddenly it's it's not nearly as interesting as it once was, but you can say that for a lot of teams, but uh, Cleveland is going to drop off. Uh, but yeah, Boston is trending in the right direction. Um, so Rashawn just double barrel against the Nets. Yes. The Nets have lost to some good teams, but sitting in top position in the East if they have home court, they're going to be a tough out if they're at full health. And by that point, we won't know what vaccine mandates are. Perhaps Kyrie will be back, but even if he's not, James Harden, as he slowly rounds into shape, he's beginning to look more and more like James Harden again. Uh, they're going to be a tough out. And no, I still do not hang that on uh, Nash. Now, after their loss the other night, um, he did come out and say, we're nowhere near. We're not an elite team. And I agree with him in, in that they're still finding their footing. I believe it was against the Warriors when they lost to them. 
And he came out and we're like, we're not in the same class as the Warriors because I think the Warriors have no disillusion as to who everybody is and what everybody's role on this team is. And that's a close to that. But I think the Warriors and the Suns right now are playing basketball uh, at the highest level. And those are the two. Uh, the Warriors are now the odds-on favorite in Vegas. At least that's where the public money is going. But they're the favorite to win the championship. They overtook the Lakers. Um, but the Warriors have a full understanding of who they are, what their system is, what everybody does in that system, all the roles assigned. And, you know, it's just a the fluidity fits the personnel and the style that they're trying to run. And I, as discussed, I think it was last week, difference of styles in that Nets versus Warriors, it's a contrast of team, you know, fluidity within the Warriors versus iso ball within the Nets. And could this be a finals, you know, preview type of thing? Um, but, you know, I'm still, I'm not going to blame Steve Nash right now for that. Uh, they're number one in the East. They're slowly figuring it out. Let's see where their record is against the top tier teams by the end of this. Uh, but right now, they are whooping up on the teams they need to. And, you know, they do have five losses. Can't, can't deny that. 13 and five is pretty solid. They're eight and two in their last 10 and winners of three straight. It's not bad coaching. Um, all right, so that's it. We're at an hour right now. Mainly today's show was talking about the general malaise of the Lakers. Uh, but that is it. And uh, thank you to everybody that jumped in in the chat. Um, tons of people today. We got Daniel Savoy, Jake Cleveland, uh Jeremy Bowers, Johnny Shoemaker, uh, mild-mannered comic nerd, Timothy R. Williams, uh, Rash is it Rashun? Rashun Robinson. Uh, and I think, oh, J.J. Davi, David Nishimoto, and then uh, Tamor Khan. So thank you to everybody. They joined us. A lively chat today. People dancing around. I like that. Well, uh, Roshan, did you change the spelling of the name? Um, I swear to God, it said Roshan at the very top, unless that's a typo from. Okay. All right. Yeah, it says Roshan Robinson with the same avatar. And then just a couple comments below that says Roshan. All right. I don't, I don't know what exactly is going on there, but the Roshan. Uh, ah, okay. So phonetically, um, and, uh, I appreciate you, uh, Rashawn, uh, throwing, uh, throwing it back at me. Um, there's nothing wrong with a little healthy debate. So long as we're all respectful, I think every person in here could tell me and anyone else, Hey, you're wrong. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Uh, I don't value, I think your opinion in this instance is incorrect. That's the point of this. It's if you're not willing to have a sensible, reasonable discussion about it and you just say, fuck you, you're wrong. It's like, all right, well, 
I can't speak to you right now uh, because you're banana times. You're out of your head. Um, so yeah, telling me I'm wrong. I'm I'm here for it. Now, I if if you're gonna tell me or anybody else wrong, just back it up with why you think that is the case, uh, which he did, and I'm all for it. Um, I think that's great. A healthy debate is precisely what you need because just because I think one thing is the thing doesn't mean it's remotely close. Uh, I'm wrong all the fucking time. Um, just because I watch a bunch of basketball doesn't mean my opinion is more valid than anybody else's. It's an opinion. Uh, it ain't fact. Now, there are facts that you can use to back up your opinion, but it's still an opinion. You're still projecting what I think this, what I think that. Well, it's that that ain't a fact. Um, so thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, oh, Tamor said weekly podcast listener, but finally caught it live. Well, you know what? I'm here for it every week and I'm happy. Sometimes I don't get to the chat as much if I have, I mean, legitimately I have, uh, probably 25 tabs over my Google Chrome. I cannot imagine how much of my CPU it is eating up just having all those tabs open, but that was just the general research before my notes and everything. Um, God, I watch too much basketball. <laughs> if there's such a thing, uh, my wife is going to be gone this weekend. So I'm watching a shitload of basketball this weekend. Um, but that is it, uh, for dropping dimes this week. Thank you to everybody that joined me in the chat. Uh, you can follow me at Matt Nost. Uh, if you could, um, leave a comment on YouTube or a rating on iTunes or a view or whatever you can. I, I thoroughly appreciate spreading the word. And uh, that is it. I'll see you guys next week for another edition of Dropping Dimes. Until then, stay safe out there. Adios. Mm -hmm.